0: If you got a Bible, Matthew chapter 5 today. We're going to come to verse 8 this morning. Before we actually get to the text, I want to uh, share a little illustration with you. Um, you ever have one of those days where you're just like thirsty? One of those moments where you just need something to drink, right? You've been outside working, it's been hot lately, you know, surprisingly hot. I thought it was fall, not quite yet, right? Well, let's imagine that you were super thirsty hot. Now, this is, this is standard Memphis tap water. Now, we consider this clean, right? Yeah, we have really good water here, correct? I mean, if you go out of town anywhere else and you taste the water, and, you, and amazingly, one of the few things you might say that you like about Memphis is our water. It's kind of sad. Sometimes you go somewhere and they say, what's good about Memphis? Their water. Well, this is clean water, right? Now, everybody in here would drink this, right? Anybody in here would not drink Memphis tap water? I would. I would drink it. Now, now let's imagine that we would, we would call that pure, I would say. It's pure tap water. Now, let's imagine that we took a little jar of something. and uh, Now, this is just pretend, but let's just imagine that this was some type of deadly poison. Now, how many of you would drink that deadly poison? Nobody, right? Now, what if, what if I put just one eensy, teensy drop? in there now would you drink this why not it's just one little drop right I mean it's just it's just one little I mean you all saw it it took me forever even just get it coming out of the dropper one little drop I mean I mean I mean how bad can that be right I mean it's just one little drop correct I mean it can't be that bad can it I mean, come on. This is 2018. People, we're being too strict, aren't we? To think that one little drop ought to make something so good suddenly be impure. Right? To make it suddenly lose its purity. We just, you know, maybe we just need to loosen up a bit. What do y'all think? Y'all think we just need to loosen up a little bit? One little drop doesn't seem to matter? Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. This is what he had to say. He said, blessed Are the pure in heart, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure, not the slightly less than, but the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, when we use that word pure, we often simply think of that which is not tainted with impurity, that which is clean. In the Scripture, sometimes it would be used to talk about something that is without hypocrisy. It's also used at times in Scripture to talk about being single-minded. For instance, in James chapter 4, verse 8, this is what James writes. He says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so that means to have one goal, to have your eyes fixed on one prize, one desire, one hope. reminds me of what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12 when he said, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to that one goal, that one prize, Jesus, the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so we are called not to be double-minded, pursuing the world, but yet at the same time pursuing God as if that was possible, but called to be purely single-minded, having our eyes, our hearts set firmly on Jesus Christ. We understand the word pure. That makes sense to us. It's a pretty easy concept to get. But with that said, let's think back to what Jesus said here, blessed are the pure in Heart, for they shall see God. I think this morning what I want to do is I want to focus on one particular word from that verse that I believe will help us to understand what Jesus is telling us here, and that is the word heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Heart appears quite often in Scripture, over 800 times in Scripture, and the vast majority of times that the word heart appears in Scripture, it is not talking about that organ that is within your chest. Instead, it is talking about um, something much greater, something much more spiritual. For instance, the most, the most memorable verse to me where I see the word heart comes in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7, when God is speaking about that process when Samuel is trying to find the next king of Israel. You remember? And he goes to David's household. He goes to the household of Jesse, and he begins to work his way down. And Samuel's saying, well, what about this brother? What about this brother? And, And God says this, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so the heart speaks of something internal, something within us. And the truth is, is that on our own, our hearts are wicked. They are not pure. Of our own ability and our own power, they are not pure. Jeremiah seventeen nine: the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Wicked. Who can understand it? Now we might want to think that people are naturally good. We hear that quite often, but not according to God's. Standard. Yes, people might do good things. They might give money to the poor. They might help the needy. They might be polite. They might live by the law. They might seem to be good citizens, but that doesn't change how God sees their heart, how their heart measures up to the standard of God. It doesn't change their sinful state. I've read one man who, who said it like this back in the 19th century. He said, I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. That is truth. And the unfortunate truth is that you cannot change your heart on your own. You cannot do something on your own apart from God, apart from Jesus to fix your heart problem. The writer in Psalm chapter 51 said this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so the first step is up to God to create within us. And so through salvation, our hearts are made right before God. They're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. It covers uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it's the Lord who begins that work, who does the work of making us pure in heart, but that's not to say we don't have a responsibility. It's not to say that we don't have a responsibility. because Just because our hearts are cleansed by Jesus, we still have a responsibility to pursue a pure heart. I quoted that verse from James chapter 4, verse 8, but let's listen to it again. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. We're commanded to purify our hearts. You double-minded. And so when Christ comes into our lives, he gives us a new heart, a fresh start. We we are, are, are new creations in Christ, and the Spirit comes to dwell within us, but our old sinful desires still want to creep back in don't they we still have those times when we're tempted our heart is tempted to go back and in essence uh, we have to retrain our hearts uh, our will our minds to live as those who have pure hearts we have to set our hearts to continually pursue Christ likeness now back over in first samuel 17 or 16 remember it said that the lord sees not as man sees but Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I think the best way, the easiest way we can summarize the idea of what the heart is, is that it's the center of our inner being. I know that sounds really fancy. And so let me summarize it like this. It's the combination of our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's what we think, it's what we want, and it's what we love. That's our heart. It's the part of us that produces action. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus said it like this. He said, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces good. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so what is within our hearts eventually does come out of our lives. And so what does it mean to be pure in heart? I'm summarize it with three things this morning. To think what God thinks, to want what God wants, and to love what God wo- loves. That's what I believe it means to be pure in heart. Let's think about that first one. To think what God thinks. The path to a pure heart begins by setting our minds on that which is pure. By putting our minds on that which is pure. To follow the admonition of Paul from Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Place our minds on what is pure and true and holy and just. Now, how do ideas, images, concepts, things come into our minds? That's a pretty simple question, right? Through our eyes and through our ears. Our minds dwell on the images that we see and on the things, the things, the words, the phrases, those things that we hear. And those things that we allow to come in through our eyes and through our ears eventually become a part of us and then affect what we do. Proof of that is simply this, advertising. Do you know how much is spent globally every single year advertising stuff to try to convince us to buy things? Over $500 billion dollars. Every year, McDonald's alone spends nearly $1 billion a year trying to get you to buy their hamburgers. $1 out of every $6 that McDonald's makes goes to advertising. Now, why do they do that? Not just because they want to throw money at something, but because they've done the research and they know that when they put things before your eyes, when they put things in your ears, those things affect your mind and affect your actions, it's foolish for us to possibly sit back and say, I can watch whatever I want, I can listen to whatever I want, and think that it's not going to affect me. That's crazy talk. That's foolishness. That's childishness. Because it does. What comes in eventually comes out. It comes a part of our thoughts, it becomes a part of our speech, and it eventually becomes a part of our action. Jesus said it. Luke six forty five. I read it a minute ago. For out of the abundance of the heart... His mouth speaks. And so if we are committed to wanting to have a heart of purity like Jesus called us here, it begins by setting our minds, our eyes, and our ears on that which is pure and that which is holy and righteous and turning away from relentlessly, ruthlessly, turning away from that which pulls us away from ourselves. From that, we must fill ourselves with the Word of God and that which exalts the Word of God so that then we will know the difference between what is truth and good, and we will know the difference between that and what is wrong, what will lead us away from Christ. We have to first have a mental understanding of right so that we'll know how to do. Follow what is right and turn away from what is wrong. Last summer, um, we, were, uh, we have a little John boat. and So we take our boys out to Pickwick every now and then and, uh, and ride around in the John boat. And I love it because you got all these people with these fancy, nice ski boats and, and pontoons. And I like to pull up next to them in my little bitty John boat. Hey, how y'all doing? You know? And so one day, one afternoon, we had been running around on the lake and swimming and just, just having a good time. And we, uh, we pulled up at Goat Island, which if you're familiar with Pickwick, you know where Goat Island is. I don't know why we have an island with goats on it at Pickwick. I do not know. But we have to go to it every single time. And so when we got there, um, we were just we were swimming. I was, I was just sitting in my life jacket floating in the water and uh, watching my boys play and splash around. And and I was, I was sitting there, I felt something like, I felt this, this something on my side. And, and I hopped up real quick, and I thought, man, something, something got me. What was that? And I thought, well, was, you know, there was kind of some grass and stuff. So I thought, well, maybe it's some of that grass. You call it seaweed, but it's not really seaweed, is it? Because it's not the sea. It's the lake, right? And so I thought, maybe it's that stuff. Maybe it just scratched me. So I kind of moved to another spot, and I sat back down. And, and then it, it, did it. it happened again. And I thought, well, is my life jacket scratching my side or something? What is going on? Um, and so I, I hopped up again, and I moved, and it did it again. And I kept thinking, what is what is up? And the, nec- the next time that I jumped up, I saw this little brim swim off. little bitty thing, about that long. Just before we got into the water, um, every time we come to this one spot, it seems like the fish follow us there. And the boys had pulled out some Ritz crackers, and they'd pulled out some cookies. And we were throwing little stuff in the water, and they were eating it and stuff. And then we ran out of food for them. And so we hopped in the water, and they all swam off. Well, evidently, Mr. Brim saw my big white side and thought, that's an awful big cookie and decided to take a little nibble out of that thing. His eyes were deceiving him. He didn't have enough information in his little bitty mind to understand that I'm not the one that is food. I'm the one that gave him some food. I'm the one that could turn him into some food. You know, sometimes our eyes can deceive us because we haven't put enough of the Word of God within us. haven't spent enough time studying the truth that we get deceived about what is the truth and what is a lie from Satan. And so we must set our minds on the truth. we want a heart of purity, it begins with a mind that is set on that which is pure. And if we don't start there, I'm afraid we're fighting a losing battle. We're fighting a hopeless battle when it comes to trying to do what's next. And that is to have a pure heart, we must want what God wants. You know, our hearts are more than just our minds. Our heart is, is also our will, or what we would call our desires, our motives, our ambitions. To put it simply, our will is, is what we want. You know, we sometimes will call people strong-willed, and it means that they are dogmatic about what they want. We have a child named Will who happens to be strong-willed. And we say that he lives his name because he is dogmatic about when he makes up his mind. That is what we want. Well, it's not enough just to know what is pure. It's not enough just to have the information floating around your head. We must train our will to want that which is pure, to want to pursue Christlikeness, to put those words into action and to have it become a part of our desire You know, a minute ago I said that what comes in eventually comes out. Well, the truth is is that there's no such thing as autopilot when it comes to desiring holiness. We have to retrain ourselves, make a conscious choice to pursue that which is pure. I mean, just to make the point, think about this. How often have you known the right thing to do, yet you chose to do that which was sinful? I've done it many, 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 many many times, countless times. I had the right information, but my will wasn't there. I didn't desire. I didn't want what God wanted. And the problem there is is the problem of the will. Uh, We like to do bonfires like little campfires in our backyard every now and then. And uh, one time we were sitting there uh, doing a campfire, and I'm not even sure what the boys were doing, but I was just sitting there doing what guys always do, and you got to constantly poke at the fire, you know? And I was working that fire, like not really doing any good. Um, but it was obviously like it, was, it was, wasn't quite cold enough for the mosquitoes to be dead. And so the mosquitoes are flying around, and I saw this big old mosquito land right next to the fire, and, he, and I started watching him. And and, I, and he sat there and he walked straight into that fire. Just, whoop. I thought good riddance in that moment, right? One less mosquito in this world. But it was like one of these, you know, you, one of those moments where your just your mind is like, whoa, you know? Because here is this thing that was duped into thinking that that fire was good when that fire literally consumed him. He thought it was good. And he got pulled into it, sort of like a bug zapper, you know? They can't seem to with stay away, and they get so close that they get zapped. You know, sometimes we know that things are wrong. We can sense that something's not wrong, but that something's not right there, but the temptation overcomes our mind. And, and we can't convince ourselves not to want what is wrong. You know, the truth is that, that there, are, there are moments in our lives as Christians uh, where we don't need more information about Jesus in that moment. There are moments in our lives when we have enough verses to know what to do. We simply need the willpower to actually choose to obey. We need the desire to actually say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And this, and this comes as, as kind of a weird piece of advice, but I think part of the key to that is this. Don't trust your own judgment. I know it sounds backwards, but don't trust your own judgment. You know, I hear people say quite often, you just got to follow your heart. Drives me bananas. You just got to follow your heart. Just do what your heart tells you. No, because your heart is deceitful. I've been a believer for 28 years, and my heart still messes with me. My heart still tries to lead me into sin. And so I have learned I cannot trust my heart apart from when I allow it to be informed by the Word of God, when I allow it to be directed by the Word of God. I cannot trust my heart alone because it deceives. Instead, I trust the Word of God as it's applied to my heart, as it's applied to my desires. Back in 1999, there was a a plane that crashed into the ocean between New York City and Martha's Vineyard, a little island off the coast in the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, the pilot of that plane was John F. Kennedy, Jr. Some of you might remember him. I didn't really, you know, I, you know, um, I graduated from high school that year. and uh, But he, evidently, he hopped in a plane that night with he and his wife and his sister-in-law, and they took off. And not long after he took off, this dense fog rolled in uh, that just made everything vanish. He lost any sight of the horizon, couldn't see anything. And so he was flying blind. And some pilots will say that when you get in those moments, you, you enter what they would call a black hole vertigo, which is a state where your mind is telling you that the plane is doing something that it's really not doing. You feel like it's veering to the right when it's really not, so you correct based on your feelings. You feel like the plane is climbing or diving when it's not, and you correct on your feelings. And the only hope in those situations is to quit flying with your eyes on the outside, but instead to set your eyes on the gauges. Because the gauges don't lie. The gauges never change. The gauges don't really care about what the conditions are outside They simply tell you where you are and what you're doing and how fast you're going and what altitude you're at. And so you have to take your eyes off the windshield and put your eyes on the gauges. Well, he refused to do that. And he he kept trying to fly by feel instead of flying by the truth of what the gauges said. And before long, he found himself. He didn't even realize that they believed. He found himself in a nosedive and he crashed straight into the ocean killing himself his wife and his sister-in-law all because he was trusting his feelings instead of trusting the truth of what the gauges said you know as we as we walk through life there are times when we might get in a point where we lose sight of the horizon of truth the world is dark And we might get a sense where we get turned around upside down. We get flipped upside down. And our old sinful self will begin to pull on our hearts. And in moments like that, we're tempted just to fly by our feel. But instead, we got to trust the gauges. And we got to trust the gauges and desire and want and do what the word says rather than what our hearts feel like doing. We got to want. What God wants, and lastly, I believe most difficult is this: that to have a pure heart means to love what God loves. You know, it's one thing to fill our minds with truth; that's that's a difficult task because we have to set about the discipline of doing it. It's it's another step to then begin to want what God wants, to choose to live by that. But I, I believe it's an even more difficult step, but an even more, just as important, if not more important step, to begin to fall in love with what God loves. To love what God loves. Now, what I mean by that is we have to move from obedience that's based on duty to obedience that's based on delight and joy. Yesterday, I went to the grocery store. outside decided to buy my wife some flowers. Um, I came home. And she said, oh, you shouldn't have. And I said, I know I shouldn't have, but it was my duty. I decided to cook her some dinner, and she said, oh, babe, the, the hamburgers you made were really good. I, you know, thank you for doing that. You really shouldn't have. Oh, I, you know, I, sh- I really shouldn't have, but it was my duty, so you know I did it. Now, I didn't really do that because I knew that would not have ended well, correct? <laughs> I knew that I would have been sleeping on the couch last night. But the truth is that there's something greatly different about Doing things out of duty versus out of delight. And so we have to train ourselves not only to know the difference of right and wrong and to, to want to do those things, to, to have the will to do those things, but also then to love right and to hate that which is wrong. You know, sometimes as we go through life, we come to realize that there's things we do or relationships or whatever that are harming us. We realize those things are going against the Word of God, the will of God, and you realize, I've got to leave that behind. That's a difficult step. But as you retrain your habits to start to do the right things, there comes a point most of the time where you begin to fall in love with the truth. Because you realize the blessing of the truth. You realize the the, the good of it. But sometimes it's more difficult than that. And so let me just ask you this question. If you were to take an assessment of your life, just think about your life and what it is you're after. What do you love? What do you desire? What do you want? What are you pursuing in life? Do those things point you to Jesus? Do those things bring you closer and closer to a love with the Savior? Are you falling in love with the same things that Jesus loves? The truth is is that we have to retrain our emotions, in a sense, to love what God loves so that we're not just obeying externally, but we're also obeying, obeying internally. Jesus had that gripe against the Pharisees, right? Back in Matthew chapter 23, this is what he had to say. Verse 27, he said, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And so he was saying, look, you guys got it down. I mean, you know the scripture, the scribes and Pharisees. Did they know the Old Testament? Absolutely. They had it down to the T. Did they obey it? Absolutely. At least the outward commands, they they had their obedience down to the T, but they did not have it in their hearts. They were not obeying because of a love for God. They were obeying because of a legalistic desire to appear good. They didn't genuinely love God. Well, the Word of God calls us to have a pure heart, which calls us to do more than just outward obedience. That was his gripe against them, was they obeyed outwardly, but they were not loving inwardly. They did not have a true desire to pursue God, a desire to They were not falling in love with what God loved, and they were not beginning to hate what God hated. That's what we have to do. We have to come to that point where we truly desire, we want, we love what God loves. And i tell you what, for me, is the key to all that, that really makes me want to pursue that. Look back in Matthew 5, 8. Here's the key. comes right at the end. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's why I believe it's worth it to train myself to think and want and love what God thinks because I want to see my Savior. Now, we always think of that first in the future tense, right? We think of that as being the day that we step into heaven. What a day that will be. When Jesus I see, right? We think about it in the words of Job, chapter 19, verse 25, when he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold. And not another, my, my heart faints within me. But don't think for a moment that this verse is only future tense. It's here and now. As we seek to live with a pure heart, we are then more able to see God today, here, now, to see Him move, to hear His voice, to understand His will, to feel His heart. James said it best, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. This morning, the question of our invitation is simply this Do you want a pure heart? Are you chasing after a pure heart? With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'd just like you to take a second to examine your own life. And let's, let's think about this for a second. Let's think about this backwards, all right? In your walk with Christ right now, do you feel like you see God on a regular basis? Are you hearing from Him? When you pray, do you feel God speaking to you? Do you sense His hand leading you? Do you have an understanding of His will for your life? If not, this isn't the only reason that that could be the case, but it's possibly one of the reasons. It could be that there's something going on in your heart. Maybe you're not filling your mind with the truth of the Word of God. Maybe you're not paying enough attention to what you're allowing to come into your eyes, your ears. You think it doesn't matter, but it does. And so maybe your mind's gotten off track and you're thinking about dwelling on things that aren't holy. Maybe it's your will. Maybe you're wanting things that don't align with God's will. Maybe it's your love, your emotions. Maybe you've forgotten what it means to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. And instead, maybe you've fallen in love with sin. Have you fallen in love with some perverted version of what God would want? Some, some the devil has deceived you into thinking that you ought to be pursuing something else. Jesus, out of here, if you want to see God, here and now, you've got to be pursuing a pure heart. Father God, as we come to this time of invitation today, I pray for the believers in this room that you would give us a desire to be pure in heart. I pray for our minds, Father. I pray that we would examine our minds today and ask ourselves, are we allowing things in? that shouldn't be there. Are we tainting the source? Father, I pray for our wills today. I pray for our desires, for our pursuits, God, that we would set our eyes on the same things you set your eyes on. Father, I pray for our emotions today, uh, that we would love, we would truly, genuinely love what you love because we love you. I pray that if there's decisions that need to be made among the believers in this room today of resetting our hearts, I pray that that would happen. And Father, I pray that if there be those in this room today who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that they would see that they cannot fix their own heart, that it begins with the Spirit coming to live within them. That even all these things I mentioned today are only possible because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And as we abide in you, you walk us through that process. But God, I pray that there be someone today who is not saved and never received the forgiveness of sin, the pure heart that only Jesus can give because of his death on the cross and his resurrection. I pray that today would be that day they would walk down this aisle and seek to know more about what it means to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we do pray these things.